Film on the Rocks has been Colorado's essential summer event for over 20 years, featuring live performances and movies under the stars at the iconic Red Rocks Park and Amphitheater. The summer series combines some of the best in culture, views, and cult classics. It's a movie experience like no other. These viewings fill up fast, so make sure you get your tickets ASAP. That's right, Film on the Rocks, baby. May through August, they have 21 drive-in movie options for a date night or a great family outing. It's a state-of-the-art 55 foot LED screen $59.50 per car pack as many people as you want this includes a dope snack pack with candy and pop and sometimes free packs of beer there are three amphitheater viewings amphitheater shows are $16 general admission and $32 for VIP head to denverfield.org for all details for each viewing Today's episode of the DNVR Nuggets podcast is a special presentation. It's actually the episode today of the Keeping It 1000 podcast, which I host, Adam Matas, with George Carl, the Denver Nuggets legendary coach. And today we had on a special guest, Hall of Famer and former Denver Nuggets great Alex English. We got to sit down with him for 45 minutes and talk about Nikola Jokic's MVP season, the Nuggets' playoff run coming up short and falling to the Phoenix Suns, but also just about the changes, the evolution of basketball, and Alex English and how he feels both connected and dis- disconnected from Denver Nuggets' tradition, legacy, and history, and maybe some of the suggestions we all put our heads together to just think about how can we unite the different Denver Nuggets eras so that every player and every fan of every era feels connected to each other. It was a great conversation. I felt honored to be a part of it. Two Denver Nuggets legends from two different eras, uh, and we talked about so many great topics. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. into the keeping it 1000 podcast with myself and the star of of our show george carl george oh man it's george frozen again already he looks like he it looks like he is we'll give him a second kill there uh to to rejoin us but i am joined by uh, a denver nuggets legend an absolute denver nuggets legend and somebody i have been wanting to have a conversation with uh for a very long time mr alex english alex thank you so much for joining me on the show hey i'm glad to be here um, it looks like we have we have George there uh, back with us. So today we're going to talk about the tradition of the Denver Nuggets, the history of the Denver Nuggets. And one of the things that has really brought me a lot of joy and, and excitement, you know, I get to talk with, with Coach Carl every week or every other week as we talk about the Denver Nuggets. I know he has a passion for the city of Denver, watching Nikola Jokic and all the different things. But from following you online, Alex, I, I can also sense that same sort of pride and excitement. And in particular, I think about this Denver Nuggets team and with Nikola Jokic. And so I wanted to ask you right off right off the, the start. It, it seems like you have really gotten involved, at least, with commenting on the Nuggets lately. What has it been like covering this or following this team over the last few years with Jokic and Michael Malone in the group? Well, it, it's, it's been a few things. It's been very exciting at times. And uh, at times it's been disappointing, especially during playoffs when we we get close and uh, something happens and we don't quite make it. But uh, I'm I'm excited with the talent. You know, I think they've got a, a, a lot of good talent, uh, including uh, my homeboy PJ Dozier. That's right. 
just watching Jokic, he's just, uh, you know, he's redefined the center position in uh, professional basketball. Yeah. I want to ask you about Dozier right off the bat because, you know, everybody talked about Jamal Murray being out and, of course, the team's second best player and, and really the co-star along with Nikola Jokic of this team. But I thought P.J. Dozier was a guy that it went under the radar what Denver missed from not having him because he was so dynamic. He could get to the basket. He could run the pick and roll and he could just guard. Um, what do you think the Nuggets were missing and not having Dozier available for this playoff run? Well, they were missing a defender who could guard probably three positions, a ball handler who could see the, who sees the floor well, passes the ball well, and he's a pretty decent scorer when he gets the opportunity. But I think what they missed most was the was his defense, and uh, I think having him, uh, you know, he could have he he could have done a, a pretty solid job when they needed him. Coach, what, what do you think about Dozier and the impact he could have had? Obviously, um, Damian Lillard was incredible in the first round, and then uh, Chris Paul in the second one. What do you think Dozier would have done? How would he have made it different? Well, I don't think you uh, I don't think you stop a Damian Lillard or a Chris Paul. You just try to control them to where you can win the game. And <clears throat> I don't know. I thought Chris Paul got out of control at least in two of the games and maybe even three of the games. And Damon put on a show a couple of nights in, in, in the first round. So I just think the mentality in the backcourt would have been better. It yeah. would have been and, more. You know, I, Go ahead, Alex. Just to add to that, George, I, I, I agree with you. And I think that, you know, the fact that P.J. Dozier plays the point guard position, you know, you're talking about putting length on those guys and, and uh, you know, making them have a, you know, changing the trajectory of their shots would have made a, a big difference, I think. Yeah, no question about it. I really like Dozier and all of the things he brings. And he's a, an interesting young talent because this was, I think, a big year for him and a big opportunity for him. And that's why it was so heartbreaking that he went down is I feel like he was another one of those young players that was really I don't want to say getting over the hump because he was an impact player already but I think he was really taken off and, and getting it into his own and hopefully obviously he can have a recovery here did you um I want to ask about Jokic's MVP award though Alex because when when Jokic won that award my hope was that all of the Nuggets legends, yourself included, and uh, David Thompson and Dad Issel and, and Carmelo Anthony, maybe, you know, obviously he was going up against uh, against Jokic in the playoffs, but I hope that it was an award that all of the Nuggets greats across the years took a little bit of pride in and felt good about. I always think about with the Lakers, one of the teams with the best tradition. When a new Laker great wins a championship or wins an award like that, they all seem to take a pride, a sense of pride in it. It's you know, did you feel that same sense of pride watching Jokic develop and then seeing him earn the award this year? I, I did. I mean, I can't speak for all the other guys, but, you know, I've uh, I've watched him since he got to Denver and, you know, he's progressed so well. And he, he seems to have gotten his confidence now to, to, to and, and he knows that he's one of the greats in the game. So I, uh, I you know, I, I took a lot of pride in seeing him uh, carry the Nuggets to where they where they went, and and just watching him individually, he's a he's a fun player to watch. Yeah. What about you, George? I know. I mean, we've had these conversations a little bit, but did you take a sense of pride when you saw Jokic? Just as a I connection to Denver. I mean, I, 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, as a basketball coach, he plays the game exactly how you want him to play. He's effective. He's efficient. He makes people better. He shows up every night. He has a good focus. You know, I think we all would like him to be a little more aggressive defensively. But, you know, he got better defensively. He was a better defensive player this year than he was last year. And holding comes down, he's a, he's a winner that gives you a window of championship. I don't know, for at least four or five more years. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if an injury uh, like Murray, how he'll come back from that. But, you know, I think everybody in the, in the, last, in the last two weeks was saying, what if we had Murray? Right. If we had Murray, would we, would we have been able to beat Phoenix? You know, I really think Phoenix is on a kind of a good karma ride. Good things yeah. are happening. The pieces kind of fit. There's an energy to them, a little bit of a magic to them. They make, they make the hustle play. They make the defensive play. They're a good rebounding team, and they're a good defensive team. They can shoot the hell out of the ball, and they got two guys you can go to to score about any time they want to score. I really think if I had to bet on the playoffs right now, I would put number. I put Phoenix number one. And you know, I I, I agree with coaches a lot of that. You know, they uh, they are one of those teams. They you know they're teams that have that specialness to them during the playoffs, and you know they've got that karma going. Uh, I think uh, Aiton was kind of difficult for Jokic because he was so long and lanky and fluid. He'd get up and down the floor, and he kind of changed the shot a little. Uh, it would have been great to see Murray go against Booker, you know, yeah. both Kentucky guys and, you know, both great scores. So it was uh, – I think it was a match that was made for Phoenix. I thought Monty Williams – I think Monty Williams has done a hell of a job. Coach, you know coaching better more than I do. He's done a hell of a job. And no, he's great. that play. Uh, Alex, I want to ask you about that connection because George and I talk about this a lot on our show and the value of teams. You just said they had a magic to them, Coach. I think watching this Phoenix Suns team, it's very clear. They were healthy all year together. They have Everybody seems to know what their role is and play for each other. They know who the stars are and who the role players, who the defenders are, but they all play together. And I just wonder as a player, you know, how big of a deal was that? And could you really sense – when your team had that connection and when they did not have those connections uh, over the course of a season? Well, I think you, you sense it. I mean, they, they've got that connection. I can remember when I played, uh, you know, some of the teams I played for, we had that connection. Everybody knew what their roles were. I mean, you remember T.R. Dunn. T.R. didn't gripe about getting a lot of jump shots, but right. he played great, tough defense. Uh, Wayne Cooper, he knew his job was to block shots and rebound. He didn't gripe about getting a lot of shots. And I think the Phoenix Suns, they've got guys that are role players, and they're just they're just on this ride right now. That's a magical ride. And having Chris Paul kind of guide them and kind of put the pieces in place and and uh, and kind of guide them to where they need to go, I, I think it's uh, one of those years for that team. Kind of like when Golden State had that first year and they had that magic going you know you can feel that for the phoenix suns i like their squad 
when you you know your teams with the Denver Nuggets had a lot of continuity. Was it a thing though? You know, you played with some of those guys were there for year after year after year. Was it a thing that even with continuity, yes, there are pieces that you're adding around the edges, but even with the same guys, was that connection something you had to rebuild and relearn every single year? No, you you you, you keep the same core players in place, and they kind of mold everybody into fitting into what the team concept is. You know, we had a coach, Doug Moe was just one of those guys that it was just easy to play for him. Uh, he put the he put the structure in place. You uh, you uh, you worked into that structure, and you know having the veteran players there kind of kept everybody in in check. Yeah. Uh, the guys that I played with: T.R. Dunn, Pat Lever, Wayne Cooper, uh, Danny Shays, Blair Rasmus, and those guys knew what their roles were, and they kind of did the same thing with the guys that were coming in behind them kept them in place yeah coach i'll ask the same thing with you i mean continuity you've talked a lot about that what is the 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 difficulty in building that even with a team with continuity i'm a big fan of it i think it's i I think i think continuity is underrated by management management you know when you lose they want to change everything and they you know i think they got to make some changes here in denver and I think they're going to make some good decisions here in Denver with their, their, their structure of uh, contracts. But I don't think they have to be drastic. I think they got a nucleus of really good players. I would like them to magnify the guys who they like. You know, is Dozier, Dozier you know, is he better than Barton? Or is Barton going to be back? Sometimes I think they put too many people fighting for too many minutes uh, for the last couple of years. I'd like to see them be have a continuity, whereas Alex just defined everybody know their roles. Sometimes I'm not, I'm not sure they know their roles on this team. A lot of guys play well. I think Coach Malone pushed a lot of buttons that worked, and won a lot of games. But you know they're short on that playoff experience of maybe having a consistent personality rather than an inconsistent personality sometimes. And with Jokic and Murray, you got two building blocks that you can make that decision and go live with it for, for two or three years. I'm, I'm curious. I'll ask both of you this question, but I'll start with you, Alex. Of it, Do you think it is easier or more difficult for guys in today's NBA to have and accept a role than it was maybe during your time because I find it interesting that you're talking about Wayne Cooper and you know he was block shots and rebound. It seems like in the positionless era, and we're not fully positionless, but more so today, guys are expected to do maybe be more versatile, excel at fewer things, but try to be a jack of all trades. Do you feel like it's more difficult to define roles in today's NBA? Uh, just looking at it from the outside. Uh, when I when I look at the players and how they play, and the game has changed so much, you know, you you have to be able to make a three point shot. Uh, uh, you've got to be able to score. So I think most of the guys that come into the league nowadays, they look at the scoring uh, more than the other little things that help really bring a team together, like the defense or uh, you know blocking out, rebounding those little those little uh, gritty things that you have to do. It looks like uh, 
they're on the teams that are successful, they've got one or two guys that do that. Yeah. But most of the teams that, you know, everybody uh, is kind of acclimatized themselves to shooting three point shots. The mid range game, I think suffers a lot. You, you've got a few guys who excel at it, but you know, the game is gone toward uh, come down, shoot three point shot, move the ball around the floor, which I have nothing against. If you got guys that can make that shot, everybody is not a three point shooter. And right. you have some guys taking three point shot, taking that shot that, that probably should be working on their mid range game. What do you think, coach, about players knowing their roles? Is it easier or harder to, in today's NBA given how it's played? I think it's different. I think it's harder. I think too many players think they're going to be great scorers and they're going to make money because there's a mentality that if you get good numbers, you make more money. I like the mentality if you win games, everybody gets paid. If you win a lot of games, everybody gets paid more. I've always liked that mentality more than I got to get my numbers. And Adam, you and I have talked about this year's team. At times, looked like there's a little bit of me basketball rather than we basketball on the basketball court. And, you know, that's okay because young kids are searching for their identity. They're searching for their role. But in the same sense, I would like to see their roles better defined next year. And I think that's what we're kind of talking about. Instead of having a, a four or five guard rotation, have a three or four guard rotation where guys know they're going to get minutes. They play badly. They know they're going to get back in the game and be, become more of a veteran team. You know, for three years, this team has been damn good. But the NBA doesn't look at it as a damn good basketball team for some reason. They kind of look at this team as a damn good team, but, but they have a but always after that. And I would rather see them scared of the Denver Nuggets rather than respect them but not fear them. Right. I think that, that – and maybe it was when Murray went down, you mentioned the team was going to miss his courage. I think Murray might be one of those players that makes – the Nuggets feared more than respected because he he put that fear in him. He plays with an edge. He plays with a cockiness, a good, healthy cockiness. And maybe that was one of the ingredients that, that Denver was missing. I want to go back, Alex, to what you said about the mid-range. There was a really interesting study done about how the shot profile has changed over the years. And there is – I think everybody notices more threes are taken, but star players still take a lot of mid-range shots. Kevin Durant last night, a ton of mid-range, just unstoppable in the mid-range. Chris Paul won the series in large part because of that mid-range jumper. You are a star player. Do you feel like your game would have meaningfully changed if you were dropped in into today's <coughs> NBA, or do you think that you would have still been or wanted to be a mid-range player? Well, the mid-range game is what I learned, how I learned how to play. But I, I'm sure with the advent of the three-point shot, I would have learned, would probably have to have learned how to do that as well in order to be as successful in the NBA. Uh, you know, but I watch uh, a guy like Kawhi Leonard, who is also a mid-range guy. Right, yeah. But he's got a great three-point shot as well. So it's uh, the guys that are more complete are the guys that have both. And they're not just three-point shooters. They can get to the basket. They can get in that mid-range space and make shots as well. And I, I see it kind of going back to that a little bit. But I think it's the emphasis now is on, you know, 
the, the metrics, I guess, is on putting three-point shots up and making them. So uh, that seems to be uh, the, the mainstay of most teams. What was your perspective on the three-point shot when you were playing? It was so new. Well, I was I, I had not practiced it. It was new. It were, we, you know, we had three-point specialists back then, Mike Evans and uh, Michael Adams, and every now and then Bill Hansley. Uh, so uh, it was. Uh, oh, come on, Alex. <laughs> I was waiting on you, George. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was something that I, I didn't work at. Uh, I'm sure I would have had to. Uh, and it's just the, it's just the way they play the game today. And it's it's a wonderful thing if you've got people that can make it. And some guys are just extraordinary with shooting that shot. Uh and it can it can change the the change the game, but to be a complete player, I think you've got to be able to do both. What we're talking about is shot selection. I think yes. the teams that win back the San Antonio Spurs won championships because they didn't beat themselves. They didn't take bad shots. They didn't right. turn the ball over. They played a defensive minded game, and it's just the fundamental nature that, yeah, the game is changing. Alex English's game. He's going to, he could probably play because he could still score. But I think every player on your team has got to know what shot they can take and what shot they shouldn't take. Yes. But I, I think George is, is right. It, it's all about shot selection. What you can make and what you can't make. What's a good shot and what's a bad shot. Right. And, you know, when you know that, and, and he's right about the Spurs, the Spurs – you know, when they were good, they were running those championships. They had guys that did everything. You know, yeah. they had three, three point shooters. Uh, they had the guys inside, so it was uh, it was something that was a big part of the game. Knowing the great shot selection and and what teams try and do now with the three point shot. You know, if the shot's not there, the most important thing is to move the ball, keep it moving until you get a guy that's wide open. But uh, what goes along with that? with the three-point shot is if you don't have it, you can go pump fake and get to the basket, and you might get an easy yep. two. Yeah. So in that, in that mid-range space, the defense is not as strong. And I that, that point, to me, really defined the Suns-Nuggets series because it seemed like Denver was content to give Chris Paul the mid-range. The whole yes. series, I kept thinking, Jokic, step up a little bit more. And I know there's compromises made when you do so. But Denver seemed to dare Chris Paul to take mid-range jumpers. And I think he set a a record for mid-range jumpers made in a game. And he, and, and he, and he made about – I remember seeing him make about that last game three or four in a row. Felt like so nine or ten right. in a row. <laughs> Coach, we, you cut out there. But we were, we were talking about – we're talking about the mid range and we're going back to the Phoenix series. It felt like Denver was for whatever reason, content to give Chris Paul the mid range. And maybe that reason was they didn't feel like they could do anything else. I don't know, but that's, that's where it becomes a real weapon. Did you feel like Denver could have mixed things up and should have mixed things up to take away from Chris Paul's mid range game? Adam, you know, the answer to that. It's like Sometimes Kevin Durant I easy last ones. night. Yeah. yeah, Kevin Durant last night. Why are you letting Kevin Durant shoot the ball last night? He should have been double teamed the whole second half. That's well, right. Tried to double team him, and you know, and Chris Paul was putting a clinic on in the game four. Yeah, that was a clinic. That was how to clinic. go in the window and and how to get the layup or the dunk 
or the open three. Okay, I'll shoot the jumper this time. Yeah. And it was like, yeah, you got to do something. Knock them down. Switch. Try somebody new. Uh, but don't don't live with that because I think we all knew that Chris Paul had control of that game. That's right. And if we didn't change it, if we didn't change it, we were going to lose. I was yeah. saying that the whole time. It, every game was Chris Paul's game. He controlled it. And, you know, it, the game went with his pace. And uh, they, they needed to kind of change his pace. Yeah. I thought Denver looked incredibly tired in that series. And I same thing. I'm watching it. It felt every game felt like Groundhog Day. It was going the exact same way. And you get in the second half and Chris Paul takes over. And then next thing you know, it's gone. But uh, I wondered if Denver just looked exhausted. I mean, Alex, you played a lot of years and played a lot of games. Um, when you look at what the Nuggets have gone through with the bubble and quarantine and the short offseason and coming back, how do you does that factor in when you're watching these teams? Does that factor in and you think, wow, that's a that's a lot of basketball and a lot and not a lot of time? Well, when you think about the bubble and the, and the teams that were in it, you know, the quick turnaround for the season. Uh, you look at the teams that survived to make the playoffs this year, the teams that didn't. You know, Miami. Miami was strong. You know, they they did not play well in the playoffs. The Nuggets, they were strong the whole time. And, you know, the second round. I mean, you know, of course, they didn't have Jamal Murray. But, you know, they, they looked a little tired. So, uh, I, I think the bubble had a lot to do with it. The Lakers, the same way. You know, it, it probably played hard on the on the bodies as well. Because they have to turn around and and and, and uh, play another season and go through another season, go through a strenuous playoff. It's tough, and mentally it's tough. You've got to you say, "Hey, well, okay, I'm gonna do this again. I'm ready." Right. I want to ask you about social media. I, I, let me add, oh, go ahead. Add, go ahead. You're on a little bit of delay, George. So I apologize. But go on in. I don't know. I mean, um, I just thought mentally they they wore out. And you're playing against some fucking Chris Paul. That man, coach. Un- unfortunately, it looks like it's cut. It's cutting out again. Wi-Fi not so great there at the uh, Carl household, sadly today. But um, he'll come back here in just a second. Hopefully, get that point in. Take a quick break to tell you guys about Breckenridge Brewery, the official beer partner of DNVR. Right now, you guys know we love Breck brews. You know that we love the Breckenridge Celsius. But what we love even more this summer is the fact that Breckenridge Brewery is teaming up with the National Parks Conservation Association. The tragic fires in Colorado were absolutely devastating for so many last year, and this is one of the many reasons that Breck is donating 1% of all of their profits this summer to the National Parks Conservation Association. That's right, if you buy one pint or a pack of Breck brews, you're donating that 1% to our great outdoors. We'll be hosting fun events at the DNVR bar to promote this awesome collab. You can come down, drink a Breck brew or Celsius, and go away with some awesome swag for our friends at Breck Brew. You can also enter to win a $30,000 escape pod trailer if you if you visit breckbrew.com slash ingoodco. Ingoodco for more details on winning that $30,000 escape pod trailer. Best of luck and be sure to tag us and our friends at Breck Brew when you submit your entry to win. Also want to tell you about Manscaped. And the new lawnmower 4.0. I got to tell a story about this because I keep mine in the shower. It's like waterproof, so you can like store it. I have like all the shelf. I have all these different things I keep in the shower. I dropped it the other day from about like eight feet in the air all the way to the ground. I thought for sure this thing was going to break. It did not. 
durable. Uh, still, still works. Everything's still good on it. I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, this thing is really made great. That's because they got the advanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology. It's so good. It almost seems as if Manscaped worked with Elon Musk engineering team to ensure that your little fellas are safe as possible. So check them out. They've also got a bunch of old other things too, not just the below the belt grooming. They've also got a great nose trimmer. They got all kinds of good like deodorants and lotions, boxers, travel bags, all kinds of good stuff. So um, it, whatever it is, if you're a guy, you want to check out manscaped.com. You want to use promo code DNVR to make sure you get 20% off and free shipping. Again, that's promo code DNVR at manscaped.com. Alex, social media seems to be such a big part of how the NBA is covered and how it connects with fans for better and, and I think even more for worse. How do you think social media would have affected you as a player and how do you think it is affecting players now that there is constant feedback from everybody that players can see and hear? I'm sure mentally it has to have some effect because especially if you're a follower and you're watching and you're listening and looking, you know, you get all kinds of criticism. You get a lot of praise, but you get a lot of criticism as a player. And sometimes it, you know, it can affect you. You get, you can get angry from saying, oh, what, what, what is he talking about? Uh, right. I personally would not have uh, watched social media. I would not have been a part of it if I could help it because I think it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I would have been a part in a different kind of way, but not reading it because, you know, you get fans talking about you and saying bad things about you. You get all pissed off and wanting to fight. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, but you also do a lot of good positive things, which we saw during the, yep. during the bubble. And I, I thought that it was very important during that period for the players to stay connected with each other. Do you, what were the uh, – <laughs> Sorry there, Kale. What were the uh, fans like in Denver during your era, and what was sort of your connection to the city? Playing at you know McNichols, just what was the fan base like at that time? We had great fans. Denver's always had great fans. Uh, I, I uh, you know, I still have a connection with some of the fans there. Oh, wow. uh, some, I know the, the the I don't know if you know the Oishis, but they are some of the biggest. They've been fans, season ticket holders since I was there before. So uh, I still have a connection with them and some of the others. Uh, so I, I thought the fans were great. They've always been great. And, uh, you know, they're a big part of Denver's success. Yeah. Do you feel like I'm watching the series and it always, you know, I'm a big Denver guy and I'm a big Denver Nuggets guy. I love the history of the Nuggets. I love all of it. And I really, I really wish it was more cohesive. And I find it interesting that you came in and played with Dan Issel and David Thompson early on. So there was a sort of handoff from one era to the other between those guys in the ABA era and you in the 80s. There was a break in the 90s. You know, there are some good teams sprinkled in there, but there was a break. And I often talked with Nuggets fans and they talk about, you know, the, oh, I was a fan with the Alex English days. And it's like, oh, yeah. what about Carmelo? Ah, you know, I wasn't really following him then. And I'll talk to Carmelo era fans. They say, oh, I was a big fan in the 2000s, but I don't really know anymore before. And that always bothered me because I feel like that is in part a failure of the organization to, to create a through thread from start to finish where it all feels like one story instead of four or five different stories. But I do feel like it's changing a little bit. And it started, I think, a few years back with the Legends Night when – 
you came back and Fat Lever came back and Iverson came back and a lot of guys came back. Do you feel at all those same things that I'm saying that it feels fragmented? And also, do you feel like it is changing in any way? Well, I think it has been fragmented. And uh, I don't know if it's what happens, but maybe ownership. Uh, but, you know, there are a lot of players that, uh, that were connected with the Nuggets that they just lost track of. And it was all about the present. It wasn't about the history. It wasn't about you know the right. people that have been had been a part of uh, building, you know, the Nuggets legend. And you know, being that fragmented, you know, you have guys that go off and say, you know, they're not, they're not, they don't feel that connected. But I think you know lately they have been doing a very good job of trying to bring us all back together. And thanks to Lisa Johnson. Yeah, who is the person that's been there all this time? The longest of anybody. Of anybody, and she really works at trying to get the Nuggets to, you know, keep that thread with all of the other guys and bringing guys in that were part of the, uh, you know, the different uh, eras. You know, the Doug Moe era, the George Carl era, the, you know, the Dan Ilse era, and you know, just keeping that connection. I think that's very important for teams. For players to kind of see that, you know, there was a history before you and there'll be a history after you. You look at the Boston Celtics, one of the most storied yeah. franchises in, in, in NBA basketball. And, you know, you, you look at, you know, you go back to Russell and Havlicek and, and, uh, and then you go back to Bird and Parrish and, and you got uh, Kevin Durant. I'm not Kevin Durant, but Kevin Garnett. Durant. Yeah. You know, that is all, it's all connected. You know, it's all connected, and and good franchises uh, are are they they do that with the squads. And you know, the L.A. Lakers. You know, yeah. you, they've had so many great players that come through there, but they're all they're all you you still see all of them being a part of the organizations, and uh, and and the team does a great job of keeping that connection there. It's a, a real brotherhood, a true brotherhood, it, it seems. Mm -hmm. And let me ask, have you had conversations on that note? Have you Do you have a relationship with Nikola Jokic, and have you had conversations with him at all? What is that relationship like at this moment? Well, I've, I've not had a real big conversation with him, but, you know, just cordial conversation. And, you know, he's a good kid. I like him. You know, I've liked him since the time I met him. Uh, and he respects the game. You know, when you get a player that respects the game, they are the ones that excel at, at yeah. being good basketball players because they know the hard work that goes in to being better than just good basketball. Coach, what does an organization do to build tradition and build that continuity so that every generation that comes through the organization feels a part of it? What do good teams do when they succeed at that? Adam, can you hear me now? I can, yes. Is this better? Yeah. I think, I think it was my connection with my microphone. Oh, okay. Um, I think we got to do things maybe once or twice during the year. Have some type of celebration. You know, when Alex, your team went to the conference finals with Doug. Yeah. That was a fun team. Bring them all back and have a celebration. And then maybe do something in the summertime. A golf tournament or a... I don't know, a concert or something to bring and unify the tradition of the group. You know, Denver hasn't won a championship 
but they've had great tradition in a lot of ways. And you gotta celebrate that. Yeah. And you know, maybe one time bring back a lot of assistant coaches or head coaches or general managers. You know, yeah. just to go over and allow the history of the game so people get to know the history of the game. Because some of the young kids who love Jokic don't know Alex English. And then there's mm-hmm. some guys that don't know Alex really well and love him. And they're kind of lukewarm on Jokic. You bring them together, they love everybody. Absolutely. Absolutely. Another thing I think about is even at Ball Arena, the experience, you know, I go into some of these arenas, they have, it's basically a museum. When you go inside the arena, there's a museum that greets you. And I think those types of things too, just walking through and feeling the history of an organization just brings it, it that much closer. So that's another one I I, I think about um, when I think about those things. But it's interesting you talk about um, Denver's fans and how great they are, because as I mentioned, seeing the arena with so many Suns fans in there for game four, and I get it, you're down zero games to three. Some people maybe are selling tickets or doing this, but I see that and I just wondered if that was ever heard of in the 80s to see if it was, was there ever a point when you walked into McNichols and thought, wow, we're on a road game tonight? No way, no how. (laughs) But you know what? I must say, I must say when the Lakers came to town, there were a lot of Laker fans there, but it was a rare, one of those rare occasions uh, when you got you got to see a team, and and that's probably because a lot of transplants were living yeah. in Denver at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, what do you think, Coach? I mean, was this a thing w- with the two thousands? You know, I attended a lot of those playoff games. I remember some Spurs fans sprinkled in, some Lakers fans. But do you feel like it's growing the wrong direction? Yeah, I think it is, and I don't think Denver is the only city that's having that problem. I think some other cities is too. But, uh, you know, I think in a way, I think our fans, when the Laker fans, would, when we played the Lakers, there would be a lot of Laker fans. But I thought it fired up our fans to the point they wanted to, you know, sound them out and yeah. keep them out yeah. keep the noise at a high level. Yeah. You know, I think what we found in the bubble in these last couple of years is the fans, the fans are in a lot of ways the oxygen of the game. We need the fans. We need them in the building. It makes us feel better. It makes us, even when you play in uh, the, in Portland, where the fans are great, it, make, it makes you, that's, that's part of the game, playing on the road in a difficult place. It takes courage. It takes guts. It takes a spirit to the game. And winning on the road, in a lot of ways, is more fun than winning at home. Yeah. Uh, and, and and so I thought for a year and a half, whatever we've gone through with the fans, the most important thing is we get them back and then the Denver fans can be, we can motivate them to kick the Laker fans in the butt. Yeah. And, you know, just, just having your fans, home court advantage, you know, just having your fans there, they're like, the, they are really the six man. They're the ones that, give you that pump they pump you up and lift you up and make you want to play hard and make you want to win so when you don't have the fans involved it's uh you know watching the bubble it was okay but you know watching all those folk on the on the on the microsoft screen was just not like a basketball game 
Yeah. Alex, I, I really appreciate your time. I got one or two more for you. I know we're, we're just about out of time here, but th- this has been, I don't know if you see all the comments coming through. We literally have hundreds of comments from Nuggets fans in here. Just absolutely loving this, you know, two different generations together now talking about a, a third generation. I just think it's fantastic, but if could you shed light, if I t- asked you a player from your era, a Nuggets player that you think maybe that over time, Fans have kind of forgotten what made them special. You know, everybody talks about yourself and Fat Lever and, and uh, you know, Dan Issel and David Thompson. But is there a player that you think maybe doesn't get their due or, or players that don't get their due over the course of history from your era? Well, the one person I think about the most is T.R. Dunn. Because, you know, the glory is on the offense, yep. but the hard work is on the defense. And I can remember back during that era when I played, and and, and George probably remembers because he played during that time too, uh, the players at at the two and the three were the most dynamic players you're going to, you know, probably some of the, the top 50, the most top 50 players you see, Dominique Wilkins, Clyde Drexler, Michael Jordan, and a whole lot that I can't remember right now, but every night, night in and night in, he came, night in, night out, he came in. And he did the job. You know, he yeah. was a great defender. And uh, just having him on the squad was, you know, one of those. He and Elston Turner, having them on our squad just made it so much easier for a person like myself who was not a great defender. You know, I mean, sometimes uh, if I was getting torched and I, one of those guys would say, hey, let me take him. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I like that, you know. <laughs> There are no great teams. There are no great teams with not a great role player. That's right. That's right. I mean, the most underwritten about guys, the the who's the kid from Phoenix? Crowd, Jay Crowder. Yeah. yeah. Time impact in the Phoenix series. PJ well, Tucker. you see what he's doing now. Yeah, PJ Tucker having a yes. I mean, I'm going to tell you, Kevin Durant. Doesn't like what's going on out there. He got 50 last night. That's right. He had to work his tail off. That's right. He's not going to get 50 in Milwaukee. Final break here to tell you about Illegal Pete's, the Colorado staple. They are back, and we're so pumped to have them on board with this partnership, not just because it's one of my favorite fast casual QSR restaurants, but it's a Denver tradition, man, Illegal Pete's. Um, you can check out uh, all the stuff that they've got, all kinds of good stuff going on at the one right down. You could walk to it from the DNVR bar on Colfax, but they've got locations all over, of course, right there on 16th Street as well, up in Fort Collins. And they've got the great stuff there. It's like... Uh, the burrito bowl is my go-to. I always get the queso. Their queso is the best. And the one right down the street from us has a fantastic bar. And, of course, that ridiculous uh, margarita, house-style margarita, $20 party margs. $20 party. This is the happy hour that they have, 3 to 6 p.m. every single day. $1 off all drafts. $1 off house and coin-style margs. $20 party margs. I mean, you go there for the afternoon, 3 to 6, you go $20 party margs. Boom. You're all sauced for the entire evening. $1 off large chips and queso and large chips and guac, free chips and salsa, whatever it is. If you want to go there pre-party before going to the DNVR bar for a Friday or Saturday night out, 
That's a perfect combination. Uh, illegal Pete's and Adamata's. I have this on this. This is the actual thing that's on the ad read. Adamata's eats illegal Pete's at least once a week. Be sure to ask him what's the best thing on the menu. I love that that is part of our ad read here because it's true. I love that place. Also, I want to tell you about DraftKings Sportsbook, my favorite sportsbook app, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I like using it because it's very easy to navigate. You got all these other apps out there that are like so crummy, and you look at them and you're like, man, what was this built in like Windows 95? What am I doing? I need my Netscape Navigator. No, DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Easy to navigate, easy to figure out what you're doing. So easy, my wife uses it. She always makes these bets, and sometimes she, she'll text me and say, I watch the show, I bet opposite of you. So we're going against each other, and I think, hey, it's the same money. What are you doing here? Um, DraftKings Sportsbook puts you courtside with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in site credits. If you pick any basketball team still in contention, you bet $1. And if that team wins, you win $100 in site credits. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the DraftKings, uh, the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up. Take advantage of that $1. Turn it into $100 in free credits. Colorado only, new customers only, wager paid out in site credits. Restrictions apply. Uh, see DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Lastly here, Strava Craft Coffee. You guys know them. The Colorado Institution. Uh, the CBD infused decaf coffee or coffee, whatever it is. If you're a decaf person or just a regular coffee person, you want to get with Strava because they are local and they've got the CBD infused right into them. Right now, you get 25% off your purchase when you use promo code DNVR25. That's right. They upped it. They love you guys and they love DNVR so much that they upped their offer from 20% now to 25% when you use promo code DNVR25. 25. We love them. We have them in the bar. So if you want to try them out, stop by the DNVR bar. Ask for a Strava Craft coffee right there. Maybe you're coming in mid-afternoon or something. You need to pick me up before you watch whatever game it is, Rockies, whatever it is you got going on. Check them out. Or you can also order right now and get that delivered right to your door every single month with their subscription service. And then, of course, that one you save 20% off when you use that subscription. So check them out. And don't forget, promo code DNVR25. Let me ask one, one more here about Doug Moe, because I know you both, you know, coach, you you coached alongside him, and obviously Alex English, you played for him. You know, how would he fare in today's NBA? The NBA has evolved so much, and in coaching in particular, Doug Moe is such a um, legendary personality. You know, that's how I know. I don't know him as a coach, but I know him as a personality. How do you think, Alex, he would have fared in today's, and, and what sort of made him special as a coach? Well, you know, I love Doug Moe. You know, I thought that uh, as a personality – he was a great personality and a great fit for our team because uh, he would curse you out. He would MF you and, and all that in the game. But when the game was over, he was up in the front playing spades with the rest of the guys <laughs> and hanging out. You know, but he, he, he was able to command that respect as a coach uh, because the, the guys knew he was serious. You know, and and, and I, I love playing for him. And I always tell people that with the Denver Nuggets, we the Denver Nuggets of my era, we won a lot of basketball games. We scored a lot of points. And it wasn't that we had a lot of great offensive players. Uh, I mean, I was a good offensive player. But, you know, you look at the rosters that we had, we had a bunch of guys that could just score. It was Doug Moe's, Doug Moe's offense, Doug Moe's, fast break offense and the offense that we ran that put the points on the on the board. And I look at today's game and I and I coached and assistant coach for 10 years and I have not yet 
seen anybody replicate Doug Moe's offense. Not yeah. to this day. And we scored, we averaged 120 points for maybe four or five years, six years, right. and have the record for the most points scored in a game against the Detroit Pistons. And uh, to this day, I still – and it wasn't like we, we were shooting a lot of threes. Right, nope. yeah. You know, nope. The three-point shot is just yeah. – yeah. We were just we, – we had an offense that was so hard, so difficult to guard, and Dove just pounded us. When we went to training camp, he said, okay, this is what we're doing. And we ran a lot of offense when we first got there. And then we started getting on the defense. But you learned how to play his style. And uh, I, I, I personally feel that it was a, you know, it was what made me, made Alex English a, a good basketball player, being able to, to flow, to flow like Mo. Coach, what did you learn from, from Coach Mo? And, and why was it that you thought to bring him on your staff? Well, I think uh, the word that comes to my mind is flow. Yeah. My my yeah. whole, you know, my my last couple of years in Denver, it was all about rhythm and flow and spacing. We didn't yes. run a lot of we didn't run a lot of plays where the the court was crowded, but we ran a lot of plays to get the ball to the right people with good spacing and let them make they made the play. And I think that's similar to what Alex and and Doug, yeah. today's yeah. game, the fans and the media want to make the game real complicated. They want to bring analytics into the game. Yeah. The game is being played well, and everybody is happy. It's a simple game. That's right. It's a simple game. That's right. And so could Doug coach today with all the analytics and all the information no. that Doug, Doug's not going to use that? But the one thing that people don't remember about Doug Moe and Larry Brown, they are competitive son of a bitches. Yes. They do not like to lose. And the only reason they do what they do is to win and play the game the right game, the right way and to respect the game. And that's all they thought. They didn't have a lot of a lot of whistles and, and ribbons and 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 cute. That was not Doug Stop. Play the game the right way, play together, move the ball, find the open man, and get the ball to the good player when you need to. Yeah. Well, this was – if it sounds like – the funny thing is it sounds like Jokic is a passing game player. I, I imagine he would have excelled in the passing game right there. Oh, he would, have, he would have had a ball plan for Doug Moe. <laughs> he's having a ball plan for Mike Malone, but he's yeah. he would have loved Doug Moe as well. Yeah. Hey, so. he's, he's Mike Malone's Alec English. I mean, Jokic, I mean, Jokic, his offensive efficiency is unbelievable, as was Alex. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. He's, I mean, I watch Jokic play, man. You watch him at the end of his shot when he goes to the basket and that last move that he makes, last move that he makes is so simple and unorthodox that people can't, they can't do anything with it, you know, whether it's a floater uh, or whether it's uh, a step and, and reverse, you know, he's he he's got the tempo that throws people off. Yeah, I, is there any player that he reminds you of, Alex, from from your era? Is there anybody comparable? He's one of a kind. He is one of a kind. <laughs> he definitely is. I, uh, I absolutely love how you can't speed him up. You that's right. Him, you can't make him play fast. 
Yeah. He's going to do it his way. You can't speed him up. Double teams, you're going to give up a layup or a wide open three. That's uh, right. And one-on-one, I mean, his one-on-one stuff isn't that fancy. It's pretty simple stuff. And then his offensive rebounding with his length and his ability to find the open man. I mean, I tell fans all the time, you are witnessing a special player. Yes. And, I mean, he is a special player, and, and Denver's blessed for the next five or six years to see where and what he can do to get to a championship. You know, when they were debating whether it would be him or Embiid, and, of course, Embiid was out a lot, uh, and Jokic was there the whole time. But you've got to you, – you break down the individual part of each one of them's game. And to me, there's no comparison. Embiid scores points, but so does Jokic. What Jokic does, he, he makes passes that point guards don't even see. Right. You know. Yeah. He, he's special. I mean, Go ahead. I mean, to me, Jokic – I mean, there's a, the list of – a list, the list of players in the NBA that make other players better. That list, in my mind, probably isn't more than 10. Yeah. Jokic is in the top five of that list. Well, guys, it's such a, a treat to hear you guys talk about to talk about Jokic, to talk about you know the the entire tradition of the of the Denver Nuggets, and we you know we only had forty five minutes here to kind of get through it, but it was a great forty five minutes, and I hope that down the line we can continue to do this. One of my personal mission statements is to to unite the different eras of Denver Nuggets basketball as best as I can with the resources available to me, and this was to me and I think to the people watching a real treat to hear you guys talk about the current team and the teams of, uh, of Nuggets past. So thank you so much, Alex, for taking the time to, to do this with us. Well, thank you. And hey, coach, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you or heard from you in a while. And it's anytime you just give me a call. Alex, you're special on that. And you know, I, I, I just love the old ABA. And what's funny is the game today is being played like the old ABA day. That's right. That's right. And it's kind of walked back. About that. That's no right. About how the ABA might be the new NBA. The new NBA is the old NBA. That's right. That's right. I like that. I like that. Uh, everybody else, thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the like button on the way out, and we'll see you all next time. Take care. Before we get out of here, I want to tell you guys about Hassle Cattle Company, D-Line Co.'s favorite company in all of the world, slightly ahead of DNVR. We brought you damn good beer, now we're bringing you damn good beef. So good that you can get the Wagyu beef at the DNVR bar. This is how we roll at DNVR. When we believe in a product, we get them personally, not just delivered to our house. We get the steaks, we do our group orders, but we also put them inside of our bar. And I'm telling you right now, we have the single best burger in all of Denver. I'm not joking when I say that. We have my favorite burger in all of Denver. Why? Well, I think it's one because our chef rookie, our, our cook, incredible cook, but also because of Hassle Cattle Company. We use the Wagyu beef to make our burgers and it's fantastic. Right now they have a great deal going on. Buy three, get one free on their flank steaks. Delicious, lean, and flavorful. Very thinly cut. You can check out them out. These steaks are super affordable, $9.99, and now you can buy three and get one free. Use promo code DNBRFLANK at checkout. That's DNBR. 
flank at checkout for your buy three, get one free. You can still use that promo code DNVR10 uh, to get 10% off your entire order. And then of course, if you spend $200 or more, they'll ship it to you for free. They ship it in these like coolers that arrive on your door. You put them out in your freezer. Boom. You got meat for the month, the week, the year, whatever it is you, you're looking for. They've got you covered. So check them out. Hassle Cattle Company. Again, D-Line Co's favorite company in the world.